0: Welcome back to another episode of Not Another Fucking Elf, an in-depth Lord of the Rings character guide podcast, hosted by my fellow Lord of the Rings fan, Catherine Bray. Hello there. And me, Paul Ridd, also a massive fan of Lord of the Rings.
1: So in each episode of this podcast, we look at a different character from Lord of the Rings, how people have chosen to play them in adaptations, what the character's deal is more generally, and any other bits and pieces at least half relevant to the character in question.
0: And we also face off in a hotly contested game that we like to call the page-off.
1: <laughs> and the podcast more generally is called Not Another Fucking Elf, which is a phrase coined by one of Tolkien's friends, Hugo Dyson. Although I like to think probably not in response to the character we're looking at today, a top-tier elf for my money.
0: And who is that top-tier elf? Who are we going to be talking about today, Catherine?
1: Today we are going to have a chat all about Legolas Greenleaf
0: of the woodland realm
1: of the woodland realm
0: our first elf in this the first series of not another fucking elf
1: so hopefully you know more or less who legolas is and what happens to him because we are a spoiler full podcast that assumes you have read or watched or listened to lord of the rings once or twice or a hundred times and you're up for a big old one hour chat in depth about the characters
0: how many times do you think you've read lord of the rings catherine
1: Oh, Nightmare. Um, well, I read it at least once a year. Wow. Sometimes twice. The last go around was last October when I was in bed with COVID. Um, bland through it pretty quickly. The first time I read it was when I was about eight mm. and it took me like all year. I've got it down to about two weeks now. So it's nice a nice little cozy two-week read. Nice. So, yeah, I'm... 38. I've been reading it since I was eight so that's at least 30 times but it's it's more than once a year sometimes so it's between 30 and 60 times.
0: Wow that's incredible. My most recent runaround was uh, with the lovely Andy Serkis uh, recording of the entire story um, which we can get onto a bit later but do you hear certain voices when you're reading the book? Do you hear the actors that you have in your mind when you hear dialogue or is it just are there versions of the characters that you have in your own mind that we could one day talk about perhaps?
1: <laughs> Catherine Bray's voices. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's hard not to hear Ian McKellen for Gandalf. I yeah. think those line readings are pretty indelible and I also I think in general they've preserved quite a lot of Gandalf verbatim from the book. Yeah. Whereas I don't know, like Mary and Pippin, obviously the Peter Jackson versions are very vivid, but they also get quite a lot of clowning around. It's nothing to do with the books. I'm not particularly hearing them when I'm reading the book.
0: Right, right.
1: I don't know whether I should have said how many times I've read it, because it now means that when I do fuck up and get a detail wrong, people are just going to think I'm an idiot. Like, How can you read a book that many times and not be able to remember it beat for beat? Um, Well, it shows dedication. (laughs) That's such a polite way of putting it. So to kick off, who is Legolas Greenleaf?
0: Well, for one thing, I think he's a tautology, isn't he? (laughs) Go on. Legolas just means Greenleaf, so he's Legolas Legolas.
1: Or Greenleaf Greenleaf, absolutely. So we meet him at Rivendell, and he's one of the older characters in our principal cast. Um, How old is he?
0: Well, we know he's at least 500 years old, because he references there having been 500 autumns in Mirkwood since the House of Eor first set up shop in Rohan. And now that doesn't seem that long to him, personally.
1: And he could be up to about 3,000 years old. The The official movie guide puts him at about 2,900 years old, I think, something like that. But that's not from Tolkien. That's from the official movie guide, whoever wrote that. He does pop up around the fall of Gondolin in The Lost Tales. Uh, that's assuming it's the same Legolas Greenleaf, though. As in real life, names do get reused in Middle-earth. I'm not sure if there's kind of any firm... Canonical info on whether that is definitely the same Legolas Greenleaf. Maybe someone can let us know. I
0: feel like we're getting off track a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, obsessed with exactly how old Legolas Greenleaf is. Anyway, so he's an elf, he's a Sindarin elf, he's of the Woodland Realm, he's super old but not as old as Gandalf, and we meet him in Fellowship of the Ring at the Council of Elrond.
0: Yes, he's been sent by his father, Thranduil, of the Woodland Realm in Mirkwood with a bit of bad news.
1: Yeah, the elves who were meant to be keeping Gollum prisoner have fucked up and let him get away, which is. Kind of an important mistake in the long run, uh, as it means Gollum is now on the loose.
0: Yes, but despite this, Legolas is still selected as part of the Fellowship, where he is, to be fair, pretty handy. He's got amazing eyesight, he doesn't feel the cold, he's a good fighter, handy bloke to have around basically.
1: Yeah, he's really helpful, uh, in particular when he's with Aragorn and Gimli tracking the kidnapped hobbits. And he's, you know, he's not getting tired like Gimli. He can see the orcs from far away. He's a handy lad. Mm. And his friendship with Gimli is a really nice arc for Legolas, from this mutual mistrust to real best friends for life.
0: Yeah, it's funny to think of what a small period of his life, the events of the Lord of the Rings, actually covers. Um, So, like, a year or so in the life of someone who lives for millennia.
1: Yeah, totally. And in the appendices, we find out that eventually, like most elves, he takes a ship from the Grey Havens into the west but supposedly, unlike most elves, he takes his pal Gimli with him, which is very cute. And
0: bros for life. That's adorable. Yeah. Let's talk about what elves are. Like, where do? what is an elf?
1: They feel like the favoured child of Tolkien's creations, don't they? The, the uh, very ethereal, fairly flawless sort of race. As presented in The Lord of the Rings, actually, they fuck up more often in the Silmarillion. There's way more... Uh, elves kind of going against the word of the creator or murdering each other Uh, there's a lot more elf strife but from the point of view of the lord of the rings I guess they're so old at this point and they're immortal they've kind of learned their lessons and so there is this sense of them I think as being quite wise and slightly above it all
0: yeah, and we're, talk- we're called Not a f- Another Fucking Elf precisely because there are a lot of them, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely loads of them. There's. I, I don't know whether we'll ever get around to covering them all on this podcast, but you've got your Glorfindels, your Elrons, your Sons of Elrond, Galadriel, Surgeon the Shipwright, um, Celeborn, Thranduil, like there's so many elves, yeah. but... Legolas is the main elf. He's, he's kind of the... I mean, I was going to say king elf, but in literal terms, that's his dad. He's, mm. he's the Prince of Mirkwood. But in colloquial terms, he's the king elf, as in the top elf.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what about sort of his characteristics specifically? Um, he's sort of slightly removed from the rest of the Fellowship, I suppose. Um, in in that he's sort of not affected by a lot of what they're going through in quite the same way.
1: Yeah maybe we'll have a look at some little book extracts for that because I think there's a few key ways in which he's although he's there as part of the fellowship and he's absolutely on side he's not having such a tough time of it. So when they're up in the mountains and they're caught in this storm which you know almost kills the hobbits and it's a really big deal for everyone else in the fellowship Legolas is running around in these little light slippers and is not troubled by it at all let's have the let's have the actual extract from that because it does make me laugh i won't say legolas is being a dick about it but he's kind of being a dick about it
0: if gandalf would go before us with a bright flame he might melt a path for you said legolas the storm had troubled him little and he alone of the company remained still light of heart if elves could fly over mountains they might fetch the sun to save us answered gandalf But I must have something to work on, I cannot burn snow. Well, said Boromir, when heads are at a loss, bodies must serve, as we say in my country. The strongest of us must seek a way. See, though all is now snow-clad, our path, as we came up, turned about that shoulder of rock down yonder. Though all is now snow-clad, our path, as we came up, turned about that shoulder of rock down yonder. It was there that the snow first began to burden us. If we could reach that point, maybe it would prove easier beyond. It is no more than a furlong off, I guess. Then let us force a path thither, you and I, said Aragorn. Aragorn was the tallest of the company, but Boromir, a little less in height, was broader and heavier in build. He led the way, and Aragorn followed him. Slowly they moved off, and were soon toiling heavily. In places the snow was breast high, and often Boromir seemed to be swimming or burrowing with his great arms rather than walking. Legolas watched them for a while with a smile upon his lips, and then he turned to the others, the strongest must seek way, say you, but I say, let a ploughman plough, but choose an otter for swimming, and for running light over grass and leaf, or over snow, an elf. With that he sprang forth nimbly, and then Frodo noticed, as if for the first time, though he had long known it, that the elf had no boots, but wore only light shoes, as he always did, and his feet made little imprints in the snow. Farewell, he said to Gandalf, I go to find the sun. Then swift as a runner, over firm sound, he shot away, and quickly overtaking the toiling men with a wave of his hand he passed them and sped into the distance and vanished around the rocky turn yeah i mean it's just pure <laughs> showboating isn't it jesus
1: just uh, i th- obviously if you can run over the snow then absolutely do that and that's helpful but it's the fact that he gives them the little wave you're yeah. like yeah what a dick what a dick um yeah just
0: You've got be- it, flaunt it i guess yeah
1: bully flaunting it and presumably not feeling the cold in the same way as them as well. Love the image of Boromir up to his neck in snow while Legolas is just like, see ya. But yeah, it's not the only way in which his sensory experience of the quest is different to the others. There's also the weird sleeping thing, which... I can't remember if we get in any of the adaptations, it's not a really obvious detail, but there's this idea that elves can sleep kind of while they're awake, Mm -hmm. they don't need to do the same sort of full shutdown that the men, dwarves, and hobbits do, which presumably makes him a bit of an asset. I'm assuming that he can kind of keep watch, and it's it's not a problem for him, which... In a way, it makes it feel rather sadistic that anyone else ever has to keep yeah. watch. I don't know. Maybe I'm misunderstanding the waking, sleeping thing. Shall we... Let's have another little quote uh, uh, and hear how the, Tolkien describes the waking, sleeping thing and you can make your own minds up.
0: Sure. It's- Only Legolas still stepped as lightly as ever, his feet hardly seeming to press the grass, leaving no footprints as he passed. But in the way-bred of the elves, he found all the sustenance that he needed, and he could sleep, if sleep it could be called by men resting his mind in the strange paths of elvish dreams even as he walked open-eyed in the light of this world.
1: And then there's another little one from the same sequence which is uh, Legolas, Gimli and Aragorn on the on the trail of the orcs who've got Merry and Pippin.
2: Mm.
0: The night grew ever colder. Aragorn and Gimli slept fitfully and whenever they woke they saw Legolas standing beside them or walking to and fro, singing softly to himself in his own tongue. And as he sang, the white stars opened in the hard black vault above. So the night passed.
1: And then just finally one more of these to really ram home the point that Legolas is not sleeping in quite the same way as the rest of us.
0: Legolas already lay motionless, his fair hands folded upon his breast, his eyes unclosed, blending living night and deep dream, as is the way with elves. Gimli sat hunched by the fire, Running his thumb thoughtfully along the edge of his axe. The tree rustled. There was no other sound.
1: So it sounds quite nice being an elf. Like you don't really need to sleep, you don't get cold, you can go running over the snow. Um, and you also, I think, have access to this kind of other realm of sensory experience. We get this with Glorfindel at the Fords of Bruin, where Frodo sees the ring wraiths kind of in there. I want to say final form. That's the <laughs> wrong word. But sees the ring raids as they are in on the other side. I think it's described as, and he also sees a figure kind of fully on fire, and that's Glorfindel. Like elves, they are they're slightly spooky, but they're like good spooky.
0: Yeah, so you're sort of a combination of super soldier and kind of ethereal <laughs> master.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah there's also a lovely bit that doesn't make it I don't think into most of the adaptations when they're in Holland which is very briefly in the Peter Jackson version the bit where they get uh spied on by crows mm-hmm. that stuff is amped up a bit more in the book it's this whole chapter where they feel like the whole land that they're walking through they're being spied on mm-hmm. um and it's another bit of Tolkien where he's referring to the civilizations that have come before in the land. Which, to be fair to a cinematic audience, that's really not going to be very important to be linking it with like the Silmarillion mythology mm. of who was building towers in these lands before we came. And that's not important for the purpose of a short, sharp Hollywood narrative, or even a long, sharp Hollywood <laughs> narrative. But I do miss the stuff that Legolas has in that passage where he is getting a sense of the elves that used to live there from the rocks, and he says that these were not tree elves like he is; they're not woodland elves. It's uh, only the stones lament them. I'll actually, I'll read. We're reading quite a lot, but I think no, the, um, I mean, stuff that doesn't really make it through into most of the film versions, so it's worth reading out. So it's just a short bit uh, where. Gandalf has just said, there is a whole smear about Hollin. much evil must befall a country before it wholly forgets the elves, if once they dwelt there. And Legolas says, that is true, but the elves of this land were of a race strange to us of the sylvan folk, and the trees and the grass do not now remember them. Only I hear the stones lament them. Deep they delved us, fair they wrought us, high they builded us, but they are gone. They are gone. They sought the havens long ago which i think is a lovely shout out yeah. to the prehistory before the lord of the rings stuff that tolkien wrote about mm. that area of middle earth
0: yeah and you're talking about a kind of race of peoples who are so incredibly old in comparison to the vast majority of characters that sense of history being flat rather than a line is kind of a, an interesting and apt kind of mode
1: the fact that he happens to mention this this business with holland when he's prompted by gandalf is really interesting but i like to imagine that there's this version of middle earth that legolas is kind of seeing with his elf eyes as they journey through that we're not really getting it's like um when he says uh, later on near the argonath that a shadow and a threat has been growing in his mind it's like he's got this almost sixth sense access to information that's just completely withheld from the other mortal members of the fellowship.
0: Yeah. So yes, and the writer Thomas Shippey actually mentions that Legolas speaks a line which is a a direct translation of a line from Beowulf when he's describing the Golden Hall of Meduseld in the distance. He says, the light of it shines far over the land, um, which in Old English would be Lixte se leoma offa landa of fella, which is
1: landa fella, land far off. It's such a long time since I studied Anglo-Saxon. Yeah. I feel like I might want to get back into it because all of this is really making me appreciate again just the beauty of it as a language. And the bit actually that I was reading as well with with Holland, the high they builded us, but they are gone. That's also that's very uh, like an Anglo-Saxon lament called the Ruin, which is all about. um Kind of past crumbling structures. It's very Ozymandias almost. Is that idea? Hmm. Is
0: there a degree to which Tolkien is working in a a mode of pastiche that is sort of decades um, before a lot of this? If you think about, I'm just thinking kind of writers like Mervyn Peake or I don't know um writers operating outside of fantasy who might adopt the voice of kind of old buildings, romance, that kind of thing as a way to. Um, kind of have a literary approach that is both modern and casting back to tradition. Is he sort of, is Tolkien sort of weirdly ahead of his time with a kind of postmodern type of literature?
1: In a way I guess the the adjective I would always associate with postmodern is irony and I don't think Tolkien is ever being ironic it's more like a sort of sincere homage to what's come before and a desire to build something in that lineage that's worthy of that lineage whereas I think post modernism you're right it's it's sort of it's the same on a almost on a structural level but the tone and the impulse of postmodernism is often I think to rip up what came yeah. before and to and um, flatten
0: things out in a plane where everything's just the same thing right? and take the piss well, yeah. like,
1: Tolkien's never taken the piss no no
0: <laughs> that's a nice way to sort of go straight into um talking a bit about the adaptations isn't it like
1: Yes, so that's the literary side and then what have people chosen to do with that literature? Well, a range of things.
0: Yeah, good and bad, I say. Good and
1: bad. As ever, we start by doing a 21-gun salute for the Lost at Sea 1955 BBC radio version. So we'll never hear the 1955 Legolas. Who, out of respect, who played 1955
0: Legolas? That was an article Frank Duncan. Uh, prolific British TV actor um, with lots and lots of credits in shows and films of the era um, he also has a notable small role in Spielberg's Emperor of the Sun but like I say, mostly a TV actor and we'll sadly never know whether his Legolas was good or bad hope it was good, Tolkien probably thought it was bad because he hated everything about that version of the, of the story but we'll never know, so thank you Frank Duncan for your service <laughs> (laughs)
1: And then in 1978 along comes Ralph Bakshi with his adaptation of The Lord of the Rings covering the beginning up to about the end of Helm's Deep-ish and Frodo and Sam heading off into Mordor so we get plenty of on-screen Legolas. He doesn't get the most lines but then that's consistent with the book. Mm -hmm. Who's he played by? He's played
0: by Anthony Daniels and most of our listeners will know Anthony Daniels. Primarily as the actor who voiced C-3PO in the Star Wars films, all the spin-offs and shows and games um, still going. I don't really keep up with the new Star Wars stuff, so I don't know if he's in The Mandalorian or whatever. I hope he is.
1: I do think you can hear like a little bit of a C-3PO twang on occasion in his Legolas, which is hardly surprising. They're voiced <laughs> by the same man, but yeah... Um... The interesting to note, I think, about the Ralph Bakshi, and he said the Ralph Bakshi C three P O about the Ralph Bakshi Legolas that he gets a little expanded moment. He meets the Fellowship a bit earlier, so in the book we don't meet Legolas until the Council of Elrond. In the Bakshi version, we meet him while we're still on the road. Frodo has been stabbed by a ring wraith, and aragorn meets his good friend legolas who helps them out with getting to rivendell people who are familiar with the peter jackson version of lord of the rings will remember that as arwen's bit in the book it's neither of them it's Glorfindel. it's another fucking elf entirely mm-hmm. and yeah here we get to hear anthony daniel's take on helping out the the hobbits um as they attempt to get an injured frodo to rivendell safely and out of the clutches of the bike riders. Ah, Legolas!
3: Vendu! Mm-hmm. do I never do do May go bannin. My lord Elrond has sent every rider he could spare to seek for you, knowing that you bore a great burden without guidance. I have been on the road for nine days. Oh. Well, Mr Frodo has been on the road a lot longer than that. And he's sick, and he needs a rest, just for a while. Sam, no resting can help your Mr Frodo now. Only the hands of Elrond in Rivendell can do that. There are five black riders close behind us, and we may well find the other four waiting at the ford. If we lose even a little time, we lose Frodo, the Ring, and Middle-earth. Do you understand me, Sam. Ah! Fly, fly! The enemy
1: is upon us. <laughs> so that's Anthony Daniels uh, as Legolas, standing in for Glorfendel. I think something we get in the Ralph Bakshi version as well is this sense of Legolas as a little bit sassy, which is, as we've said, is completely consistent with Legolas in the book. He has these kind of um, on the one hand they're sort of slightly profound little observational moments and on the other hand it's a little bit like going on a journey in a car with someone who goes yeah we really should have taken that last off ramp off the motorway just yeah. kind of observing things that maybe you, you should have done or could just have been different out, or, like, yeah, yeah yeah just a little bit of that so let's hear him in that mode talking to Gimli about the dwarven doors into Moria
3: what a people, you dwarves, are for hiding things. On the gates of your most wondrous ancient kingdom, you write, speak, friend, and enter. And no spell in any language can open the door. So all you had to do was say, friend,
2: and enter. Those were happier times. Let us go. Yeah, a little bit sassy. little bit
1: sassy. Like, not so much so that you could accuse him of actively being snarky it's not that um but it's 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 just a little bit less in the moment than some of the other fellowship members maybe because of the things that we've mentioned around him No, not feeling the cold like they do not being mortal like they are i guess it would make you feel slightly more removed from the action and slightly more like you were observing it like it was a a tale or a song and i think that's unless I'm imagining things how Tolkien describes the passage of time for elves as well as it's a little bit more like they're in, in a waking song mm. so they're almost like one of those kinds of people in a screen franchise who sees everything <laughs> through as if it's happening in a film
0: yeah yeah so it's sort of an extra power <laughs> character <laughs>
1: yeah one year later 1979
0: The Mind's Eye adaptation. Mind's Um, Eye
1: American radio adaptation, a dramatisation.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's played by an actor called John Vickery, um, a stage and film actor who appeared in a few kind of cult TV shows like Babylon 5. Um, But his main claim to fame is that he originated the role of Scar in the stage version of The Lion King in 1997.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Was Um, Jeremy Irons not available?
0: Well, apparently not. I think it's a little bit of a step down to go from Jeremy Irons to John Vickery. No insult to John Vickery. Poor
1: John Vickery. Well, is it poor John Vickery? Let's hear some of his work in Mind's Eye before making up our minds on that one.
3: I'll climb up. I'm at home among trees. I'll see what's their shape. And we'll seek
2: refuge in the tops if we can. They'll be marvelous trees indeed if they can offer any rest at night except to birds. We can't sleep on a perch.
3: Darrow! Stand still. Don't move or speak. What? Who are they? They're elves. Can't you hear their voices? Yes, Sam. They're elves and they say you breathe so loud that they could shoot you in the dark. They've been aware of us for a long while and heard my voice and therefore didn't hinder us. Now they bid me climb up with Frodo, for they seem to have some tidings of him and of our journey. The others, they ask to wait a little and to keep watch at the foot of the tree until they've decided what is to be done.
2: I am dear cousin. We are three. How many are you? Eight. Myself, four
3: hobbits and two men, one of whom, Aragorn, is an elf friend.
2: Aragorn, son of Arathorn, is known in Lorien, and he has the favor of the Lady Galadriel. All then is well. But you've spoken only of Seven.
3: The Eighth is a dwarf.
2: A dwarf? That isn't well. We've not had dealings with a dwarf since the Dark Days. They're not permitted in our land. I cannot allow him to pass.
3: But he's from Lonely Mountain, one of Dane's trusty people and friendly to
2: Elrond. Very good. We'll do this, though it's against our liking...
1: I'm not sure if it really was poor John Vickery, was it? No, that's like quite a weird Legolas. It sounds like he's maybe getting paid the same whether he does it in an hour or does it in five hours and he just wants to get out of the recording booth. I don't know.
0: Just minimal effort. Just <laughs> say your lines, get out.
1: doesn't help that he's opposite another elf who is taking completely the same approach to things. Maybe elves just speak faster in the Minds eh? version of maybe. Lord of the Rings.
0: doesn't appear in the Rankin-Bass film. Yeah, normally we'd
1: talk about the Rankin-Bass film at this point, but for whatever reason, no Legolas in that. They're telling the story of the whole of the Return of the King, which obviously (laughs) Legolas is very much in. It does, I guess, speak to the fact that you can lift Legolas out without plot consequences or without major plot consequences. He is always working in tandem with other members of the Fellowship. His usefulness is... detail based it's things like he can spot something far off or he can shoot an orc or whatever it's it's not big macro stuff like he is the instigator of a plot to bring the hobbits to Isengard or whatever you can lift him out
0: then we move on to the bbc 1981 radio adaptation
1: beloved Um, bbc 1981 oh we love it so much we're rolling around in this adaptation just Just a sea of beautiful voices. Full stunning of this adaptation, as people probably don't say anymore, do they? Do people still talk about stunning?
0: I don't think they do. I don't think they do. Um, But he's played by an actor called David Collings in this rendition. Um, David Collings, another very prolific stage and screen actor um, who appeared in lots of shows like Blake Seven, Sapphire and Steel and Doctor Who.
1: So a little clip to illustrate the work of David Collings as Legolas. Um, It's an episode I really, really like uh, where Legolas and Gimli, who are now firm friends, having, having really been at each other's throats at the very beginning of their relationship, basically due to their inherent distrust of each other on the basis that they're an elf and a dwarf, they then form this firm friendship and after the Battle of Helm's Deep, Gimli is waxing lyrical about how beautiful the caves that he hid out in were and he accesses this really poetic side of himself that we haven't seen before. Legolas, it's less of a twist for him, but he is entranced by the beauty of Fangorn forest and he wants to go and visit that so they do this lovely little deal where if they get through the war they're going to go back and visit those two places together even though neither of them is a natural habitat for the other so it's it mirrors their friendship really Mm. it's an elf saying all right I'll go and check out these bloody caves with you (laughs) and a a dwarf saying I'm scared of this forest but fine Mm. we'll we'll do this uh it's a little cross-cultural exchange
0: yeah I guess there's that sort of sense of uh a sort of uh, agreement and a bonding formed out of a, a conflict and a crisis where you know you don't know from day one to, to from day to day whether you're going to survive a war so having this lofty ambition to go and share um experience together is kind of beautiful
1: oh man that's really beautiful yeah, yeah lovely <laughs> paul is eating mini cherry tomatoes which really belongs in our denethor yeah. episode but anyway let's play the clip
3: You make me regret that I have not seen them. Come, let us make this bargain. If we both return safe out of the perils that await us, we will journey for a while together. You shall visit Fangorn with me, the greatest and oldest of forests, and I will come with you to Helm's Deep.
2: You have my promise. But now we must leave behind both cave and wood.
0: You really get a lovely sense of the plummy, slightly ethereal quality of David Collings' delivery. It's just a... A really lovely characterization. Yeah. Moving swiftly on to Bobby Inglis and his uh, 1990s audiobook version of the story. Um, set us up.
1: Mr Robert Inglis, uh, again, pull up a chair. Granddaddy's going to tell you a tale. And in the case of this clip, we're at the Council of Elrond. So this is the first time we're meeting Legolas. It's the first time we're hearing Rob Inglis's characterisation of him. And Legolas kind of starts on the back foot, really, because we've never met him before. And his first bit of news is that his people have fucked up and released Gollum. (laughs) Uh, I was reading a while ago about the the idea of um, something called banana skin entrances. (laughs) And that idea that if you know someone and you know already that they're competent and that you trust them and so forth... You'll give them quite a lot of leeway when they fuck up but if the first time that you meet someone is right in the middle of a fuck up it takes a really long time for the effect of that fuck up to wear off in most people's minds the the banana skin effect Mm. i guess another way of putting it is first impressions count yeah the idea is more that negative first impressions count for sort of so much more in a way than positive first impressions it just Mm. really cements Somebody's image in our minds if the first time we meet them, they're messing up, and that's kind of what we get with Legolas. But he's an elf and he's perfect in every other way, so maybe it's quite good to introduce him with something where he's got bad news. Bit of a whoopsie. Bit of a whoopsie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah now i'm picturing him as a sort of frank spencer elf
0: <laughs> just with like a little clown hat on yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: the mr bean of the fellowship that would have been a fun way to go with it yeah. uh, it's not the choice that rob Inglis has made for the audiobook we've Absolutely got a fairly not. straight up interpretation of legolas here with some bad news
2: alas alas cried legolas and in his fair elvish face there was great distress "'The tidings that I was sent to bring must now be told. "'They are not good. "'But only here have I learned how evil they may seem to this company. "'Smeagol, who is now called Gollum, has escaped.' "'Escaped?' cried Aragorn. "'That is ill news indeed. "'We shall all rue it bitterly, I fear. "'How came the folk of Thranduil to fail in their trust?' "'Not through lack of watchfulness,' said Legolas.' but perhaps through overkindliness, and we fear that the prisoner has aid from others, and that more is known of our doing than we could wish. We guarded this creature day and night, at Gandalf's bidding, much though we wearied of the task. But Gandalf bade us hope still for his cure, and we had not the heart to keep him ever in dungeons under the earth, where he would fall back into his old black thoughts.'
1: So a kind of a small small fuck up that would completely have changed the entire course of the narrative if Gollum was still locked up in Mirkwood for the, for the whole thing um, in lots of ways that, really I guess belong to the Frodo Sam Gollum episodes. But yeah, fun to think about how Legolas sort of is interconnected with that bit of the trilogy in a way that we don't generally have foreground in the in terms of how we think about that plot line. Mm.
0: And then we come to. Um, one of the most uh, memorable uh, character characterizations in in Peter Jackson's trilogy the pretty much discovery of Orlando Bloom as uh, Legolas in his films.
1: Yeah he'd been in Wilde the Oscar Wilde film in which Stephen Fry plays Oscar Wilde. If
0: I remember correctly he appears for what amounts to about four seconds um, he just plays the object of Oscar Wilde's lustful gaze
1: Yes, I think he, he plays a rent boy who, as I recall, is wearing this sort of grey bowler hat that he tips to Stephen Fry in a sort of saucy manner.
0: He also plays a character called um, Peter Drinkwater in an episode of Midsummer Murders um, before he's cast in Lord of the Rings. Um, Peter Drinkwater, that's a notable.
1: Lovely bit of trivia, yeah.
0: And uh, around the time he was uh, cast in Lord of the Rings, the role which basically kind of launched him as a big star, he was also cast in Ridley Scott's Black Hawk Down, where he plays one of the doomed soldiers.
1: So Orlando Bloom, big breakout role for him, fresh Mm -hmm. out of drama school. I think, was it that he actually won the role while he was still at drama school?
0: Yes, possibly. Um, And I suppose... Much like Dominic Monaghan and Billy Boyd and a few other cast members who'd pretty much done nothing prior to Lord of the Rings, this was a bit of kind of spot casting, right? This was like...
1: We need a breakout guy for this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he would have been... He's one of the younger cast members as well. Like Dominic Monaghan was about 24, I think... Pippin was actually about 30 or something like that. He's a little bit older than he looks, Billy Boyd. Mm. And obviously Elijah Wood's pretty young at this stage as well. I think Sean Astin's about 30. But yeah, Orlando Bloom, if he's graduating, he must have been about 21. Mm. What an amazing thing to be 21, flying off to New Zealand to play really kind of a gift of a role. Because Legolas, as envisaged in the Peter Jackson version, he kind of shows up says a cool or useful thing and then is just amazing at fighting yeah. and he does it all while looking immaculate. It's yeah. like it's the perfect starter role for an actor who wants to later go on and then play the hero in an action franchise, which obviously Orlando Bloom then does in Pirates. But it's it's sort of the ideal taster role. If you want a producer to look at you and see potential future action star, what could be better and playing Legolas in Lord of the Rings it really shows off all of those chops whilst at the same time not demanding that you carry the entire franchise on your shoulders.
0: Yeah he gets to play a very ethereal badass who doesn't have to do any big emoting which could go wrong or anything that would not make him look cool.
1: Legolas's key sort of mode is either interjecting with an explanation after a character has just asked what something is or... Out of nowhere, a bit of exposition. So I've just noticed a thing. Yeah. Um, so instead of our usual clip of a scene, we've got a little Legolas montage of kind of Captain exposition for you.
3: A shadow under threat has been growing in my mind. Something draws near. I can feel it. A red sun rises. Blood has been spilled this night. The trees are speaking to each other. Something stirs in the east. The way is shut. It was made by those who are dead. And the dead keep it. This forest is old. Very old. There is a fell voice on the air. The ring must be destroyed! They're taking the hobbits to Isengard! Come, Gimli! We're gaining on them! Look at them. They're frightened. I can see it in their eyes. The horses are restless. And the men are quiet. That is one of the meras. Unless my eyes are cheated by some spell. The stars are veiled. This is no mere ranger. He is Aragorn. Son of Arathon. You look terrible. It is the road to the dimhold the door under the mountain. The eye of the enemy is moving. The white wizard approaches. Forgive me. I mistook you for Saruman. That is no Do you see that? The Horn of Gondor. Lembas. Elvish waybread
2: goblins, orcs,
3: Crabine from Dunland. a lament for Gandalf, a scout, a diversion, a Balrog of Morgoth.
1: (laughs) So, you know, orcs, goblins, (laughs) Crabine from Dunland. here they come. Uh, Shadow (laughs) and a Threat has been growing in my mind, all of that kind of stuff.
0: Also, an incredibly handsome man, I'd say, Orlando. He's, he's dealing with some quite um, ambitious wigs and and very strange outfits, but always coming through looking immaculate, looking beautiful. That's such a lovely face.
1: His skin looks like a baby. It's just glowing. He's got those blue contact lenses in most of the time. There mm-hmm. are a few scenes left in there where he didn't have them in, and you can see a brown-eyed Legolas, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for some other podcast called Movie Goofs. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, he's done very well out of it. I'd say that, you know, of all the stars from... The, all the breakout stars from the series, he had the biggest sort of post-Lord of the Rings career, didn't he, really? I mean, if think think about obviously taking a lead in Paris the Caribbean, doing another film with Ridley, doing Kingdom of Heaven, and getting cast in a series of kind of leading man roles for a few years after Lord of the Rings.
1: The Calcium um, Kid.
0: Calcium Kid. He <laughs>
1: That famously grossed like three hundred pounds or something, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, not 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 his finest hour, I'd say. And I also saw him um, on stage in the Matthew McGonaghy role in Killer Joe. the oh, how was that? Tracy Let's Play, as far removed from Legolas as you could possibly imagine. I always love it when an actor really tries to go outside of their comfort zone to do something very big. Trouble is, I guess, with Killer Joe. Obviously, I, I hadn't seen it on stage before and it was a play before it was a film. Matthew McGonaghy kind of made that role so much his own in the freaking film that oftentimes it felt like Orlando's kind of channeling that voice and that style. Right, uh, He did make the role his own, but it was, um, he it was did. Just nice to he did, but he didn't. do something different.
1: <laughs> yeah. and for anyone who hasn't seen killer joe uh that's a very deep south southern gothic i seem to recall a scene where someone fellates a bit of kfc yeah
0: it's a forced fellation of a piece of kfc um simulating a blowjob um in one of the most harrowing scenes in the play um so yeah so sort of watching orlando bloom do that on stage was uh Uh, quite an eye-opening experience and so far far removed from anything that he does in Lord of the Rings it was just a a joy really.
1: really can't picture I mean people talk about Elijah Wood going off and doing you know various cannibals and serial killers and maniacs after Lord of the Rings to get away from the Frodo image but I feel like he was always interested in horror Elijah Wood and Frodo gets to go through lots of horror moments albeit as a as a victim and then near the end when he's claiming the ring it's very you know i am possessed i will not do this the ring is mine Mm. um so you can sort of see it whereas orlando bloom doing killer joe i
0: well i don't know it's a there is a sort of long lineage of stars i'm thinking of daniel radcliffe when he did echo us on stage in the west Mm. end um i should say also that the production of Killer Joe involved in full frontal nudity as well, which is commonality with um, Echoes. I think there's just that thing of you're a beautiful young actor and you've been known for playing these blue-eyed, beautiful roles and what you want to do is go on stage and do something that completely disconnects you from that tradition and and does something um, completely different. I don't think he's, I don't think Orlando's kind of quite found yet what he's going to do in his later career, maybe. Mm, mm. Um, We shall see. I think he's in a big show for Amazon or something. Is he in Carnival Row?
1: He was a bit of fun, this is going back a bit, in extras playing a nightmare version of Orlando. Oh, really? I I never saw it. I feel like that's an option for his late career as well, in sort of the same way as Hugh Grant in something like Paddington 2 sends up the idea of this ageing, formerly pretty boy actor I don't know, could Orlando do that? What do you think?
0: Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think the darker side of Orlando, I've spoken about Killer Joe. I I do remember him doing an indie called The Good Doctor, um, which I don't think anybody saw, but which actually featured Riley Q in one of her earliest roles, um, where he plays a kind of um, slightly emotionally detached, slightly potentially psychopathic doctor Mm. who's involved in kind of all kinds of nefarious business in a hospital. Um, that was a kind of interesting match for him because unlike something like Killer Joe, which is all about theatrics and being big and doing everything massive all the time, it just allowed the sort of pretty boy looks to, like you say, like a Hugh Grant, um, hint at something darker that you could get away with because you look that good and because yes. you
1: are. Yes, and like the that. iciness, which actually that that maps quite well onto Legolas because he's required to play... Um, obviously a character who's sympathetic and a good guy, but there's moments like when he sees that Boromir has died. And I think Orlando does a really good job of portraying someone who is sad that this thing has happened, but also kind of can't quite understand it. It's like, oh, this is this thing that happens to you people, isn't it? And Mm. it's really, it's sad, but it's it's also a great piece of acting of of non-human grief.
0: And finally, rounding out all of these adaptations is the great audiobook performance by Andy Serkis, um, which is just a total joy and we're just basically making this podcast to promote the Andy Serkis audiobook.
1: So the bit that we've got uh, for you now to have a listen to is kind of a partner piece to the clip that we heard from the BBC version where uh, Legolas is making this deal with Gimli to go back and look at the caves with him we're hearing a bit from circus here slightly prior to that where legolas is waxing lyrical about the trees in fangorn because he is after all a woodland elf and we get this little glimpse here of of legolas in the forest of fangorn and really feeling at home and wanting to talk to these trees and i mean in a way it sounds like the sort of Nafist side of Tolkien, if you weren't a Tolkien fan, the idea of getting misty-eyed over an elf talking to trees (laughs) probably sounds appalling, but maybe Andy Serkis can convince you otherwise with his beautiful reading.
2: These are the strangest trees that ever I saw, he said, and I have seen many an oak grow from acorn to ruinous age. I wish that there were leisure now to walk among them. They have voices, and in time I might come to understand their thought. No, no, said Gimli. Let us leave them. I guess their thought already. Hatred of all that go on two legs, and their speeches of crushing and strangling. Not of all that go on two legs, said Legolas. There I think you are wrong. It is orcs that they hate, for they do not belong here and know little of elves and men. Far away are the valleys where they sprang. From the deep dales of Fangorn, Gimli, that is whence they come, I guess. Then that is the most perilous wood in
0: Middle-earth, said Gimli. Yeah, I'm convinced. Uh, It's it's another instance of... uh... Circus really channelling some of his castmates from uh, appearing in Lord of the Rings. Um, It's sort of like a straight Orlando, isn't it?
1: And as with other characters like Mary, who don't get so many lines in the Peter Jackson version, I think it's quite fun for Andy Circus to get to do these speeches that his castmates didn't get to do. So in a way, he gets more lines as Legolas than Legolas Orlando Bloom did. Yeah.
0: So just coming full circle back to where we started, what is an elf, what is Legolas, where do you sort of see his character sitting in the wider ethos of Lord of the Rings and what does he sort of embody or represent in the story?
1: I think one of the things that he's bringing to the story is the idea of an immortal being in a story that's full of peril. Uh, Most of the characters are mortal. Some of them die during the course of the narrative. There's an ever-present sense that death is possible for most of them. Even someone like Gandalf who comes back, uh, we get the sort of fake-out death with the Balrog. Elves aren't supposed to die, but they can die in conflict. And we see that with Haldir, notably Mm. in the Peter Jackson version, gets quite a dramatic death. And I think that actor does a really good job of showing on his face how much he has lost. Mm. It sounds brutal, but elves have lost more than, Mm. like, If a hobbit or a man dies and they've lost max like a hundred years, (laughs) an elf has lost millennia potentially off their lifespan if they prematurely snuff it before they make it to the grey havens, which would be a really huge deal. That's a bummer, yeah, a real bummer. (laughs) Um, I wonder whether elves would possibly see us a bit like we see creatures that don't live very long, like you know, if like goldfish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or even if if you've got a beloved cat that is, you know, cats live about twenty years. If you have a cat that dies at seventeen, you're like, well, that's sad, but they were going to die anyway, and that's not really like that's not a tragedy in the same way as someone dying at seventeen who was a human being and yeah. would theoretically have gone on to live for like ninety years or whatever. Hmm. So I wonder whether for Legolas, he's like, well, it's really sad that Boromir died, but like forty years, eighty years, what's yeah. the big difference? <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe he's got more empathy than that. Maybe empathy is what saves elves in those kinds of contexts from assuming like dickheads. <laughs>
0: but it does change your priorities, I'm sure. Just separate from death, just the idea of having lived for thousands of years would change your whole perception of conflict, would change your perception of travel and mm-hmm. and quests and all that stuff that's why he
1: has such an affinity with Fangorn he says that it made me feel young in such a way as I have not felt since i traveled with you children that's like a little sassy even to Aragorn who's 87 you children just
0: traveling on the play bus through the fellowship
1: (laughs) yeah all aboard the play bus we're gonna go and defeat all right I got another guy who's pretty old
0: yeah so I think we've come to my favorite part of the podcast uh, (laughs) where we
1: play our game the page off
0: so you can play this at home if you want to but we're playing it here in the spirit of absolute competition um, we take it very seriously very seriously and uh, what you've got to do is you've got to take any edition of the Lord of the Rings and any online Lord of the Rings quote generator we're using one on the site happycow.com and then you have to generate a random quote from Lord of the Rings and then guess what page number it's from we're using a 1990 reprint of the 1966 HarperCollins edition for UFO, but you can obviously use any edition you want.
1: Yes, and then we score points based on how far away from the actual page that we landed. Like if you get it spot on, you would score zero, and the aim is to score as fewer points as possible. Um, so the running totals so far, I'm on 168 points. Um, Paul, from last week, when we had a quote from Strider, is on 259 points.
0: So there's quite a gap between us, but I do believe that I can claw back some victory from the mouth of failure.
1: (laughs) Let's see how we get on. Let's, um, Let's load up the random quote generator.
0: Do you want to read it out?
1: Pippin glanced in some wonder at the face now close beside his own, for the sound of that laugh had been gay and merry. Yet in the wizard's face he saw at first only lines of care and sorrow, though as he looked more intently, he perceived that under all there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth, enough to set a kingdom laughing, were it to gush forth.
0: So it's reuniting with Gandalf the White?
1: Mm Mm-hmm, yeah.
0: Early doors, towers? Um,
1: But not that early doors, because it's Pippin and Gandalf and the reunion of Gandalf and Pippin and Merry, like we hear about that in retrospect from Pippin and Merry telling Aragorn and the rest of them and then up came Gandalf and said you know, where in the name of wonder is is Treebeard? And that's not a moment for Pippin to be like looking closely at his face observing all of this stuff. That's got to be a scene that's sort of taking place in the present tense.
0: Right, shit, yes. So yeah.
1: So I reckon this has got to be Pippin and Gandalf off on their mission to Gondor together.
0: Right. So king.
1: So, yeah, because Pippin fucks up with the Palantir and then Gandalf takes him off on the horse to, to Gondor. Yeah. So I think it's somewhere in that siege of Gondor type stuff. So I think, yeah, it's Return of the King. Um, But where in I Return know. of the King? So
0: let's just think about this. Logically, minimum 700 pages deep.
1: Yeah, I reckon. And 900, I think, is most... 900 onwards is, like, mostly wrap-up stuff. I think we're basically done and, like, havensing and final doors, climactic adventure stuff by 900. So it's probably, like, a 700, 800-type page Mm. count. I'm trying to remember, though, because it still could be... It could be way earlier. It could, it's such a tricky one. Yeah. Because well, the Palantir me... is immediately after the Isengard stuff.
0: Yeah. You've got me second guessing my initial... I mean, hopefully you're right and I'm going to avoid losing 500 points. Uh, so... so uh, you're
1: very welcome to guess much <laughs> earlier, Paul. You might be tempt right. tempt
0: me. <laughs> don't
1: um, tempt me, Frodo.
0: <laughs> I'm just going to go bang on 700.
1: Bang on 700. Okay, I'm trying to remember all the way back in week one, I think we had a, was it the Faramir quote? Yeah. You guessed 600. Yeah. I remember because it was a round number. Yeah. I could be strategic. I'm ahead of you at the moment, so if I guess 700 as well.
0: Yeah, we're we're on the same level, that's good. I'm happy with it.
1: Okay, okay, I'm also gonna guess, (laughs) Mm, am I? My ego is tempting me to like guess 750, and hopefully that wins me some points. But if if it erodes my lead, I'm going to be Well, I mean, I've
0: I've guessed already, so I'm not going to take it back, but 700 would be bang at the beginning of Return of the King.
1: 750, I'm calling it. Okay. Okay, so page 750, we've got Pippin hanging out with Birogond in Minas Tirith. So I don't think that's too bad. No. Unless I've guessed it like the wrong side of one of those bits where we suddenly go off to Mordor and hang out with Frodo for ages. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to look at page 700.
0: Break it to me. <laughs> oh, it's not even... It's still towers. We're with Gollum and yeah, Sam. Yeah, I'm afraid
1: you're with Gollum and Sam. So you, you've, you've fucked it. We've, we're have we just about to go into Shelob's lair. Dear. <laughs> Okay, so it's on page 742.
0: Oof.
1: So, yeah, it's just after Pippin's grilling by Denethor and he's worried that Gandalf is going to be angry that he didn't do a good job. And um, Gandalf bursts out laughing and is like, no, you did your best. And and then that's when Pippin is observing the wizard's face and there's this this fountain of mirth ready to burst forth at any, any moment, so...
0: Well, at the very least, I'm glad that I didn't go much, much earlier. Um, but yeah, 742 minus 42, so 42.
1: So you've scored 42, I've scored 8. Right. Slick.
0: Very slick.
1: <laughs> so added on to last week.
0: So Catherine is on 176, and I am on 301. Um,
1: cumulative scores across the series
0: I think it's being fixed I feel like the whole thing (laughs) is a racket there's a mole right at the top of the circus
1: do you want to be in charge of the book next time Thank you for listening to Not Another Fucking Elf, a Lord of the Rings character guide podcast by me, Catherine Bray,
0: and me, Paul Ridd. We are a self-produced podcast, so please follow us at Not Another Elf on all good social media platforms. And it would be great if you could give us not one, not three, not seven, but five stars for Mortal Podcasts on your podcast
1: app. Thanks to Tommaso Elietti for handling our digital bits and bobs, Charlie Shackleton for our cover art, and anyone else who helped us out along the way. Much
0: appreciated. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders, and we strongly urge you to go out and buy the 1978 Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings, the 1979 Mind's Eye radio adaptation, the 1980 Rankin Bass Return of the King, the 1981 BBC Radio Lord of the Rings. 2001 New Line, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, and the 1990 Robbing List, and 2020 Andy Serkis, Lord of the Rings, audiobooks, both from Collins.
1: And by the book! There are so many nice editions of the book out there. We also recommend the Humphrey Carpenter biography as a starting point if you're curious about the life of the man himself, and the collected letters also collated by Humphrey Carpenter with Christopher Tolkien. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss next week when we're looking at one of the first characters Tolkien ever created. That's your clue for next week.
0: This has been Paul Ridd.
1: And I'm Catherine Bray.
0: And that's it for now. That's the end of the podcast. And don't forget that if you hear any news of the Entwives in your land, you will send word to me.